But yeah, so I had a couple ideas of some things to talk about today. One, just because it's relevant is a uh, is tool and decision, and I'm sure anyone listening or seeking out a Notion podcast uh, has probably experienced it or is currently going through it. Just settling on a tool, why it's hard to settle on a tool for sure. My name is Eli, and together with my co-host Boss, we discuss life, the universe, and Notion. I've been feeling it pretty hard lately, trying to determine what I actually want my tools to be, what I actually need from them, is actually kind of tough. Still haven't totally figured it out, but... Yeah, I absolutely love the topic. I happen to be making a, a video about it right now, tool oh, selection. Nice. So, and but it's in general is like a constant problem, right? Because you're always you have your tools that are working, and then you're looking towards other tools, and you have to make this unsure decision. Actually, like, is the investment that I'm going to put in this tool going to pay off? Like, is it actually going to make my life better or not? Which is always an interesting question. Yeah, and. Part of it that I struggle with is is complexity. Do I need something feature rich and complex? Does something simple work for me? And there's a weird divide between what I enjoy doing and what I like seeing in the software from a, I guess, productivity nerd standpoint <laughs> and what I actually use or, or kind of different things. And so I've been looking to pretty much replace my whole tool chain, but can't 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 decide on anything everything seems to have a compromise and i i suppose that's unavoidable unless i make it myself but overall notion is just too much sometimes and i found that putting everything in there makes opening it daunting you know it's there's so much going on in it even if i have it very well organized that opening up my notion can feel like a task in itself and finding where I want to go in it can feel like a task in itself. And so I find myself not opening it uh, and I need to fix that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I recognize that bit because as you said, as an, an, a productivity nerd or a tool nerd playing with things and how complex, like I love the flexibility, uh, flexibility from Coda, for example, and I hate the flexibility from Coda. It's <laughs> at one point I can look at it and go like, I can build anything in this. And then on the other hand, I think, yeah, and I could be spending like a week building stuff in it and it would be a bit better than Notion because it would be automated. But was it worth the week of time investment to make all the buttons and make it work perfectly? And, and that's only relevant if you're sharing it with people if i'm using it on my own then nine out of ten times the simplicity of notion would have just gotten me there so much quicker and that's i think the the, the trick with with tools you're always looking for that balance and the other comment that you made and i know that feeling that once you start getting more and more into notion opening notion becomes something where like okay i need to open notion and i need to figure out where i stored it and where did i put it like some people use the global databases but then you still have to search and notion search isn't as quick as some other tools and it's not just getting stuff out of notion but it's also at some point getting stuff into notion so and we always talk about friction uh, in the productivity space and with notion i had an inbox and that worked okay-ish but then i had to move it somewhere and then if i'm not using the inbox and i want to put something in notion i have to think like where am i going to put this in notion what's the spot where i put this information which increases friction for example one of the reasons why i started using lockseek and after that obsidian was because it, they have their daily journal thing so i always have like this scratch pad open and i don't have to think i just type stuff in the scratch pad and i link it up to whatever thought process is there and that means that i spend less time thinking about where i put it and i spend more time thinking about how is this related to what and not where do i put it in the structure i just assume that as long as i link it up I can find it back once I need something on that topic. Uh, right. I mean, I do think that's potentially possible to kind of set up in Notion, but I definitely understand the quickness of Obsidian. I, I've always kind of struggled with the 
the markdown formatting there. But I've been looking into MEM. Have you seen it? They've been getting some spotlight recently. Just M-E-M. I, I know MEM. I've, I've done, I think, a quick video on it when I got beta access a while back. At least what I did was just like an hour of me messing around and figuring it out, going through my, hey, this is a new tool. So what are the things that I check when I get started? And that, that video got a, a lot of traction. I liked some of the ideas that they had in it, some other parts of it. I had to go back on the notes I have on it to, to find out what I did and what I didn't like. They, they definitely used like a different system because they had the MEMS where you like you collect things in setups which i liked because that's very much how i use obsidian right now where i just make a lot of small notes and then link towards those i think that was the one thing that i was missing back in the day was the inline linking so it was something that was really fanatical about i wanted to be able to hook these mems together and that made me not use it for now the other thing would have been that just like notion it's web-based and i really started to appreciate the absolute massive speed that comes from a local application it's ridiculous how much the difference between like 100 milliseconds and 50 milliseconds is once you start working in it yeah i mean it's something i've i've noticed with any type which i've been playing with off and on for a while is is its speed everything is next to instant which is a nice change of pace i do think mem added inline linking but as an primary note app notion has spoiled me in its features especially with the inclusion of simple tables i do a lot of kind of data entry kind of memorization yeah and so tables are almost mandatory in my note app and that reduces my options down to very few things i'm essentially looking at evernote notion and craft although craft doesn't have a native windows app which isn't a total deal breaker, but definitely, definitely hurts me. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it looks like Notion is going to remain my, my note taking app, but I'm also looking for project and task management, although mm-hmm. primarily task management, I found simple task, li- task lists work for me the best, mm-hmm. yeah. and especially scheduling, um, planning my day. It seems like the biggest actual boost to productivity I get from a task manager. And so the best experience in in planning and scheduling a day uh, is what I'm looking for. And there's a there's a few options out there, but there's actually far less than than you would think that manage daily schedules well. Yeah, well on on average, like everybody knows that I'm a huge Todoist fanboy, but that's because I've been using it for over a decade and letting go of this is like physically hard for me. But now I've been running this new project and I'm limited to whatever software the company I'm working for is giving me. I have been using Microsoft to do the last week and I was pleasantly surprised by their day plan setup. Yeah, I've, I've actually checked out Microsoft to do and come back to it every now and then to see it. The primary thing missing for me is tags in Microsoft to do, but the way it does smartly suggest your day is great. That, but that I also need amazing. a need a like visual outline of the day. So like a day calendar view, essentially. But that leaves me with calendar apps and just a couple different task managers that can do that. And there's a couple on the horizon. I've been watching an app called Amy for a while. Mm-hmm. That's that's looks really promising for the exact type of thing that I want, but unfortunately not available yet. So the other options I have are TickTick, which mm-hmm. I've used on and off for a very long time. And it's very capable in that way, but also has a level of complexity that I don't need, which is part of what I'm trying to to scale back on. So finding an app that's simple, but with the advanced features that I need is, is kind of a tall ask. So in the meantime, I've been using TickTick, but really hoping Amy comes out or something else comes along that thinks in the way I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I recognize the the month because that, that's one of the things that in the when I was doing research for my video was like make your own list of like absolute needs for an application. And for me, when I'm talking 
to-do applications, I think top of the list is the quick ad. So being able to just open my phone, click one button, type something in, click send and done because I need that to clear my brain. Day plans are definitely a must for me because I noticed the same productivity gain that you're talking about. Like if I have a day plan, I know what I need to do that day and I can order it in the morning and go like, I'm going to do this first and then that and then that so that I have something that I can go top to bottom throughout the day is definitely a requirement. And then, yeah, labels. Labels for me or at least some way of separating out my tasks so that I can get them when I'm in context. So for example, I make tasks that are called uh, do-it-yourself store so that I know that when I'm there, I can just open my to-do list and I can just filter on the label and say like, okay, um, now I'm here, I need this, this, and this. And I got labels for when I have a car available and I got labels for when I'm on the phone and that's the only option I have because I hate calling people. And so I just group those forever and then never do them. But yeah, those are like the demands that I have of a to-do list app in that order and everything else is just great. It's just like, that's nice to have. Yeah. It's interesting. I actually have a very similar workflow with things and contextualizing things that I separate out for, for those times. Todoist has always looked good. I've actually never gave it a serious shot, but the, as far as quick entry goes, the, what do you call it? The natural language recognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems extremely powerful for that, which TickTick has, although to a slightly lesser extent, I believe. But quick entry is not too bad for me. Quick access is is almost more important, which is why yeah. Notion is becoming problematic because it does not feel like quick access. Uh, even with shortcuts set up and things like that, there's always multiple views and and sometimes the way you want to see it isn't, you haven't built. And so it's like, do you want to stop what you're doing to, to build that view? And <laughs> and that's, that's a big point of friction in Notion for task management. It's one of the things that I didn't notice with, with Notion is that it was very bad at dealing with chaos. So that's why I'm using Obsidian now for most of my note taking because Obsidian t- takes care of chaos very well. But I also discovered while I was using that, that I really had to go back to Notion where structure is needed. So when I'm planning my videos, for example, I, I built like a simple board view, I think more than a year back, probably even more than that for my videos. And I'm still using that every day because that's it just helps me so much to visualize where my videos are and at what step they are and how they are moving. That's where Notion really shines. But that's because I built something specific to solve a problem and then that stays in Notion. But because of the quick access bit, for example, one of the things that I have now is that I have pages in Obsidian that just link to the Notion page. So I open Obsidian, I search for something like a project and all Obsidian does is like, this is the link to that page in Notion. So I don't even use Notion to access Notion. I just go through Obsidian to get to the exact page I want to get through. If it's not a mind thought or like a thought goes into Obsidian and anything that's planned or that needs to collect the data or that I need to share with people goes into Notion. Yeah, I actually did a similar thing with TickTick for a while where I had it tasks linked to project pages in Notion. And so I would just click there. Do you find Obsidian to work well across all devices? Do you pay for the, the cloud option? Yeah, I pay for the cloud sync. I absolutely adore the Android app because it's so quick, even though uh, it doesn't sync in the background. So sometimes my tablet, I don't use it every day. And then I take it with me when I go into the train or something. And then I always have to wait for a bit while it syncs up all my data from the last week. But that is only if I haven't used it for a while. And if I have like a work day after that, there's no problem because then it's instantly syncing all the time. But once it synced, it's it's bleedingly fast. I can quickly find stuff. So I have it on my phone and then you can configure it to like one command for if you drag down and by default, it goes to the command setup. But I don't care about the command setup when I'm on my phone. I care about finding information. So I change that from command setup to search. So now I just open the app on my phone. I drag from top down and then it goes into search mode. I can just type anything that comes in my head and find that information that I've probably created when I had a full keyboard available. Mm -hmm. And I find that use case 
absolutely amazing when I need to find quick information. But it's also one of the reasons why I have these linked structures now, because now I don't have to think about where I search. I always search in Obsidian. And then if it's in some other app, then Obsidian will just give me the link to that app. So if it's a, a, a Google Drive document or a PowerPoint or a Notion page. So sometimes when it's like really project-based, like like it becomes like a larger document, then it then then there's a step in between. Because then Obsidian links to Notion, the project page, and the project page is all the collected information and files together that I need for said project. It's a bit slower. But then Notion really wins out there because I can put information in columns and I can make like this dashboard overview of this project. So I can like open one page and just have a have a clear view of like this is the status of this project. This is the information I got available so I can work on it, which is something that I think Markdown, definitely because it's a long document, kind of fills in. I can't make that overview. Yeah. I mean, anything dashboard-based, Notion is definitely king and i would i would even argue anything that needs a kanban board or that benefits from a kanban board is probably best in in notion but yeah that's that's interesting that you just kind of link everything together in that way i don't know if i could do that it kind of it definitely adds a level of friction that that is being problematic for me but i don't have <laughs> a solution currently so maybe some i have to give give a try because I, I always have this mentality of like one tool for for everything or one tool for specific things as opposed to you seem to be kind of breaking it up almost more philosophically than than strictly for what that tool is like tasks or notes or or what have you which yeah. is an interesting perspective yeah I, I enjoy using the best tool for the job. So I use Todoist for tasks because I want all my tasks in one place. I love Notion for anything where I need structure because in Notion, I can give things a structure and that means that my brain can work around it. And then the missing piece there until I started using Logseq and uh, by extension uh, Obsidian because they both use the same markdown backend so I can switch between these if I like to, was that I needed some place to just put the the raw thoughts and that's that's why now i have these free applications basically working together to keep my productivity in check anything else that i link to is more output stuff so it's things like the thumbnails that i create or the documents that i need to print or the videos that i create of course that's all things that you can't put in any productivity system right like my video editing files i can't put in any system they're too big and they wouldn't know what to do with a DaVinci Resolve project anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I was just going to say, it's it's hard to, how do I put it? You know, you would go ahead and you collect my thoughts on that. So one of the reasons, like how I keep this thing in sync in my head was when I read up on the power system. Uh, and I basically only took one element from there and it's like, use the same name everywhere. So, for example, if I make a video, I have a folder, a Todoist project, a Notion page, and an Obsidian page, and they're all called exactly the same thing. So they all have the exact same name. They start with a number and then the short name for that video. And that means that no matter what system I'm in, if I'm in Todoist, if I'm in Obsidian, if I'm in Notion, if I'm on my file system, I know exactly where everything related to that project is. And that really helped my brain. I didn't realize when I got started with that how much that would help my brain by having the exact same name. But for my brain, that seems to work fine. Yeah, it's kind of funny. That's essentially what I was going to try to say is that it's it's hard to synchronize the processes and, and synchronize the, the workflow uh, across multiple apps that have different structuring. And I've never actually tried a Paris system and I may have to may have to look into that because that's interesting. <laughs> and then I even don't use like everything from the power system anymore because I have projects, yes, but then you had the resources and resources kind of died because now I do the whole linking my thinking thing, which is closer to the Zettelkasten system. The only exception being that because I'm not working with a paper physical Zettelkasten like where it originally came from, 
I have no need for this large numbered index system that they were originally using. I mean, I let a computer solve that problem for me, which it's tremendously much better in, I think, than using physical paper. I mean, I'm not knocking on paper here, but you know, when it comes to like organizing lots of tidbits of data and being able to quickly find it, yeah, that's that's a moment where paper just loses out. Yeah, I've always found it kind of funny the the praise that Zettelkasten gets and the the almost purity that people have about it when it does feel like many aspects of it are a bit archaic and a bit outdated, especially since a lot of the stuff these days is not stuff you write, but information collected from elsewhere. And yeah, kind of interesting in that way. Yeah, um, that, that's actually like a, like settle custom is a nice idea from the time. Like if you definitely take it into its grand perspective, and it's like, what was done there was excellent when you didn't have computers. But now what happens is that I have computers and that means that I can make quick, quick small notes. I can link towards URLs that are on the internet somewhere. And then hopefully they'll stick around when I need them because the internet constantly changes. But let's assume that a wiki page at least. And then I usually also maybe write down in one or two sentences what this thing is related to or like my take on it so that I don't have to rethink about it when I need it later. And then you also get like in the whole sit for like, do you need all that information? Because I put a lot of information in the system and I think 75% there just dies. It's it, I'm never going to access it. But the 25% that I do access when I need it brings me so much value that it makes it easily eclipse the 75% that, you know, I didn't need because you don't know which information you'll need in the future, right? Yeah, I mean, and let's be honest, there's something satisfying about hoarding large amounts of information. (laughs) (laughs) We're like dragons sitting on top of our database. Like it's... Yeah, one one tool that I have actually settled on recently is Uh raindrop.io. It's a bookmark manager. And I actually use it as both a bookmark manager and a kind of a pocket replacement, a web clipper. But you were talking about like website persistence and if that website's still there. And Raindrop.io actually caches a permanent version of the website that you can always view whether the the sites Mm -hmm. exist anymore uh, or not. Does it have labels? Uh, Yes, it does. Oh my God. I'm going to have to have a look at that because there's like this huge gaping delicious shaped hole in my life because that was what I used to use for bookmarks until it uh, sadly died. So this might might fill that void though for most bookmarks and I'll just use Obsidian, but I'm definitely going to have a look at that. It's pretty great. It has your classic hierarchical sidebar with it's almost similar to Todoist or Notion in that you have essentially lists that can be nested. Then you have filter views you can set up as well as tags. And actually, I don't know if there's... Yeah, that's the one omission is that there's not really a way to write notes on them, which would oh, probably that's... be the cherry on top. Definitely, definitely. Because like when you have like these links, that one of the reasons why I enjoy putting links in Obsidian is because I can link a URL to related topics and put some notes on it as to why this specific URL is so important to my life. So yeah, I suppose there is the description section, which just takes the whatever the provided uh, description of the website is from its SSO stuff. And you could mm-hmm. just change that to be whatever you need. But I do primarily actually use it as a bookmark manager because I have... Uh, an obscene amount of hobbies, which leads to an obscene amount of bookmarks in the nested hierarchy of of bookmark toolbar folders is has become unruly and hard to find what I need a lot of the time. So having a search and having tags and labels is is very useful. And it actually has uh, different views as well. So there's, you know, different visual views, as well as being able to see a whole hierarchy. So you can click the top level folder and then it'll show all of them listed, separated by their subfolder and uh, very, very useful and very cheap too. I think it's $3 a month for the pro version, uh, which you need for nested folders, which is pretty mandatory for almost any, any organization in any app. 
but I've been, I've been really enjoying raindrop for that. And just for web capture, it's, it's excellent. Yeah, it looks, uh, looks amazing because I'm like always tapping on my brain. I'm immediately giving this a go just to see how it looks. Yeah. I want to, I want to know, I have to know. And I feel like there's, they're filling a hole in the market because you have pocket, which has very little organization. And that's Mm -hmm. really the only other dedicated option that I know of. I was using notion previously, but I end up with that opening paralysis with notion. So I end up not using it as much. And with raindrop, I actually keep it open kind of as my bookmark toolbar. I use, you know, power toys with windows that lets me set up or window zones and organize windows however I want. So I have like zones set up specifically for having Raindrop and my browser open uh, side by side. And yeah, it makes browsing the web significantly more productive and enjoyable. Yeah, that's one of the things like when you're browsing the web, any type of, of, of information consumption, browsing the web, watching YouTube videos, I always have to like go like, okay, am I doing this just for entertainment's sake? So I'm not going to do anything with it. Or am I going to commit and take the time to make notes while I'm watching this, reading it? And the, the latter one is something that would be better because it would allow me to get that information at a later point in time. But it also takes a lot more brain power. So this feels a bit like an in-between step where I, when I see something interesting, I can just file it on there tools or things to look at or wish list, which is something that I currently use Notion for, but as said, Notion is, it feels heavyweight for those kind of things. Yep. Yep. My, my ideal scenario for Notion is to primarily use it as just a note-taking app and set it up similar to just any other note-taking app instead of being the all, all in one app which I never thought I'd get to actually three years using notion. I, I didn't think I would revert back to really simplifying it to that degree, but we are. Wouldn't you say that like notion, uh, when you first get notion, I remember when I found notion, you know, and you go like, Oh my God, this is where I want to put everything in because it can organize it and I can keep it clean. And, and of course, like when you get, just get started, you spend a lot of time organizing a note and it all looks pretty and you can find stuff. And there's this, this honeymoon phase where, where Notion looks like the solution to everything. But then over time, you start going back towards whatever you were using before Notion because you find out that there are limitations to having everything in one system. And how they say uh, a jack of all trades means master of none. Yeah. And I think my ADHD plays a significant part in it and that I find myself distracted in Notion and I'll be trying to do something, but see like a hole in a system I built in this other place and then feel like fixing it and then get fully sidetracked. And that's probably actually the biggest issue with it and why I end up not opening it because I I think I'm going to get sidetracked by using my productivity tool, which should not be happening it's a little counterproductive for sure yeah definitely because that's like the exact opposite but i i do recognize that feeling that when i'm using notion i'm not only distracted because i want to tweak or optimize my system going like oh i should patch this in my template or i should work this on it's also one of the problems that i have with a lot of no code solutions i think this is not just a notion thing but for example if you make a template in notion um then that template gets like a fresh copy anytime you add an item, but the existing items won't be updated when you make a change to the template, meaning that if I improve the system anywhere, I either have to accept that anything that I already have doesn't get that improvement, or I have to go back and put that improvement everywhere by hand, and both aren't ideal. Yeah, that's definitely a good point, because then I, I always end up feeling the pressure of building the system perfectly at the outset and then down the road when i realize it's not perfect i feel the drive to remake it completely (laughs) and (laughs) it will never be perfect yeah that's what you know going in there Mm -hmm. so it's a it's a matter of definitely 
separating my my love of systems thinking and systems building from the tools I actually need to use. And that's why I'm definitely leaning towards things with more predefined structure that I can't change very much to help me stay focused when I actually need to be and use Notion when I'm inspired to build something. But it is tough though, because there's no other, there's just no other comparison and, and everything is missing something. Yeah. That's a moment that you need to pick between, am I in work mode or in design mode when you're in notion Mm -hmm. Um, and the barrier is so thin and small that, that it's nearly impossible to just stay on one side because okay? you're always you're looking at the system and it's so easy to make a change right i mean it's just showing there it has like a plus or an edit or a button and it will only be 30 seconds and 30 seconds turns into a minute turns into five right. minutes turns into half an hour into- add one view to this database and next thing you know you've created three new databases with relations and <laughs> yeah uh, yeah that that's definitely like a part that i recognize and then you what you actually want is a system that restrains it a bit so you don't get into that temptation, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I stopped using any type of task lists inside Notion and just went back to Todoist. Because Todoist, I can't. It's like, it's task list. If I look at my Todoist task list, I can't be creative with it. I mean, I messed with the board view that they have, which I still don't know why they have one. But yeah, that's always been kind of questionable because the lack of additional information that you can add to each card kind of makes the board view <laughs> a bit lackluster. The only thing that I can imagine the board view being good for, I mean, is if they would steal the today view from Microsoft to do, if I would go like, Hey, we have a board and you can just put your items for today in it. And then you can drag them over, like visually look at your day or your week or whatever. I would be happy with that. But the current view where I have a board view that's limited to a project and then inside the project, it becomes sections and it's, it just feels tacked on. It's like, yeah, no, this just doesn't spark joy in my end. And another yeah. thing that I really miss uh, that I'm I'm extremely happy with with a Microsoft to do there is the fact that it shows me when I finished stuff. So when I make a day list, it shows me at the end of the day that I did stuff. So now I no longer feel like I've been working all day and haven't done anything. Yeah, of course, there's like the karma button on the top that shows me how much I've done. But it's different than when you look at your today view and it shows like one last task that you have to do and you've got like eight or 10 tasks under it that are striped through that you already did that day. And that definitely gives me some kind of dopamine hit. And it's something that I would wish to do is had as well. Absolutely. There was actually a while there I was keeping a daily log. So anytime I did just about anything, I would actually just write it down in, in a daily note to to show what I did. And it was definitely actually a self-motivating practice. Yeah. And I'll have to see how I integrate that and in whatever tool I end up landing on. What well, one one factor that I find extremely important that feels under focused on in, in most productivity software is habit building. There's definitely dedicated apps for it, but it feels in, it feels like it should be part of a task manager because they're just tasks. They're just repeated tasks that you want to keep doing consistently. And so you can set up, you know, like a repeating task, but part of a habit manager's power comes from seeing the checked off days and seeing your streaks and yeah, in keeping that run going. And so a repeating task doesn't really fill that role, but it's, it's a strange, strange omission from many task managers. Tick, tick actually being the only one that has one, which is part of the reason I started using it in the first place. And, uh, and amazing Marvin, you know, I've heard that name a lot and I don't know if I've looked into it. Then you definitely should. Like the reason why I don't like Amazing Marvin is because it's too flexible, but that's also one of the reasons why I was looking at it and was considering ditching Todoist for it. Because what they did there is they basically added stuff like habit tracking into it, but then made it so that you can enable and disable these features. So going like, hey, I would like habit tracking with my to-do list. Excellent. You switch it on and you can use that. I want to see my to-do list at the end of the day. Excellent. You can switch it on and... So that, that's things that I really liked about Amazing Marvin, but because you can switch on and off so many features, I was also looking go like, oh yeah, I'm going to lose 
days of productivity, probably weeks before I'm done fiddling with all the buttons. And I'm not sure if that will pay dividends in the end. And then I come back to my original list and it goes like, okay, can I quickly add? Yes, I can quickly add. Excellent. Do I have labels? Yes. Do I have lists? Yes. Does it have really good keyboard controls, which is kind of a cop-out in my case, because I'm also making a video about an extension called Todoist Shortcuts, which adds VIM-like bindings to Todoist, which I absolutely love because I can do everything with my keyboard. That bar has been set pretty high by that extension. I mean, if Todoist is listening, like stop trying to build your own keyboard shortcuts, hire this guy and implement that. Yeah, I remember you mentioned that before. If I can use a keyboard, I will use a keyboard. Yeah, and uh, this this. The fact that I can move things around my due dates by one or two keystrokes is just uh, that does good things to my brain. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's nothing like getting a getting a keyboard workflow down. Like yeah. nothing quite as satisfying as that. Anytime I'm really into a particular digital hobby, like I do a lot of like 3D work or graphic design work and and stuff like that. And when I get into that flow with an app and can just blaze along using keyboard shortcuts it's it's quite the quite the fun time yeah it's, it's also why i'm i'm super happy that a lot of these note-taking apps notion does it obsidian does it i think rome does it as well but they all use markdown so that if you type markdown type formatting it will just adjust to whatever is needed for that so if you type two uh, uh hash uh, pound signs or hash signs that you'll get a heading for example that i'm i'm super glad that that's become like a consistent thing everywhere because it just saves me so much thinking and typing and it's it's also one of the things that I started to check now when I try anything new. It's like, okay, can I just use Markdown formatting and will it do the right thing, TM? And right, it's kind of silly. I use I use both uh, Markdown and in Notion the slash menu, in mm-hmm. for no particular reason. I guess it's just what I settled on, like which thing I use which for. Because I'll actually use the slash menu to make headings, but oh. I'll use brackets to make a to do list or you know, dashes to make a bullet list and uh, what do you call it? Uh, asterisks to make uh, bold and italic text. But yeah, I don't, uh, I kind of like the slash menu and mm-hmm. it, I think it plays into how I use windows, especially is just single key hit followed by a few letters hit enter and the thing happens. I, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Like I like yeah. the fact that notion gets you like a couple of options I use the slash menu a lot for colors because like I put slash and I type in uh, RE for red and I can just pick red background and keep going, which I think works wonderfully. And then for bold, for example, I don't even use the markdown formatting. I just write the text, do shift control to select a few words and press control B, which I'm just used to. So I think it's 90% what you're used to and like a little thing like is the option there. Mm Mm-hmm. You said you use control, uh, control yeah, control shift, B. Control now you B. Sh- yeah, control shift because then with shift you start selecting text and control you select whole word. So I can just right. shift control and then back arrow two or three to select the word and then I let go and press control B to make it bold or I for it. Oh, right, right. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the control to arrow key to move through whole words is something I think a lot of people don't know. And yeah, that's uh, makes that's navigating texts so much easier. It, it does, but then I like I still fumble sometimes, or when I'm in, I think when I'm in, in a spreadsheet app like Excel, and I accidentally press Control page down, or I think Control arrow down, or something, and it goes all the way to the last field in the in the spreadsheet. And I'm like, I have no memory of this place. Where the fuck am I? <laughs> it's like, how do I get back? Which key did I press? I'm always like confused when I end up at the at the bottom right corner of an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, accidental shortcut inputs can can be super problematic in a lot of yeah. a lot of software. I've definitely and, faced that. Oh, yeah. And it's, it can be so frustrating. I, I mean, I find it frustrating if I accidentally press something like uh, today I had something like it in uh, Visual Studio Code. I was doing something in the terminal and I was doing it in a VI app, and I made two windows. And in VI, if you want to switch window, you press Control V. Uh, of control W or something. I'm not sure how to pronounce letters in English. 
Anyhow, but I, I pressed the command for it to switch window, but it's the same command that is close window in Visual Studio Code. So what happens is that everything just disappears. The, uh, there's a similar issues. Tick tick has the worst keyboard bindings. I appreciate that they have the keyboard bindings, but they take precedence over so many other key bindings, um, especially with actually Visual Visual Studio Code in particular. There's so many that tick tick takes precedence over and it's extremely frustrating because they have so many keyboard shortcuts and it's great but it overrides so many others in so many other apps it gets gets annoying but uh, that definitely does like in the for if you know which keyboard commands are like overlapping then it's okay-ish because you know what's happening but I can imagine that it's super frustrating for people that don't know where keyboard commands come from and just accidentally press a couple of keys and then weird stuff happens. And they yeah. don't know how to revert it. There's definitely been a greater and greater separation between like power user features like that and normal consumer end stuff because of mm -hmm. that, it seems. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons why I love that more and more things are starting to use the command menu or the slash menu. Both are like a similar idea, right? You type a, a, a slash or a, a keyboard combination and you get like this quick search menu that shows you the options. And you can just type a couple of letters because that one's very uh, quick. I mean, most of these things like, hey, I need to save or open a file. And I just press one command, I type in uh, save, and then it gets like, save this file. Yeah, yeah, enter that. But it's also very visual. So that means that if somebody doesn't know exactly what they're doing, they're still aware that they're doing a certain action because they see it just before they hit the enter button. Right. And, and most times when you hit that slash, you get a little menu and yeah, you can browse through it if you don't know exactly what you're looking for, or what it's called. I definitely yeah. hope to see that as a standardization across almost almost everything. I I would argue that the world might be a better place if we would bring less keyboard shortcuts into most applications and more command menus. Because the for for 90% of the things that I do, I don't need a dedicated keyboard shortcut. A command would be just fine. I can if I just need to use it like once every hour or something, pressing the command button and typing three letters to find it in the list is nearly just as quick as giving it a button. But if that means that I don't have to constantly have keyboard shortcuts over overlapping in my Windows or Linux system, then yeah, that'd be a happy trade-off for me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, considering there's not a huge standardization of shortcuts, it, it would definitely alleviate that. I mean, like, what is search, you know? In, in any given app. Is it control K? Is it control P? Is it control S? It, it's definitely adds to a level of friction that's not necessary if, if we were to just standardize some of these things. Yeah. Of course, your search needs to be well done looking at you, Microsoft Teams. But <laughs> it's, yeah, because I'm, I'm used to Slack and I press control K in Slack and I type in like one letter and he goes like, Oh, this one letter is probably from this coworker that you've been chatting with for every day since the last six months because you work together. So you probably want to chat with him. This is the expected behavior. And then you use the exact same command in Microsoft Teams. And it goes like, oh, this letter, you probably mean this stranger that you've never talked that works in a different country, but in the same building as you or like the same company. Yeah. I don't know what Microsoft is doing, but their search features in general have always been just a little off, just a little yeah. wrong in its predictions. Yeah. Because uh... even, even the Windows or the Start menu, opening certain apps is very weird sometimes in, they in the ones it suggests. They by leaps and bounds in Windows 11. Yeah. I did read that you, you reverted back to Windows 10. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the search was nice, except for the fact, of course, that instead of showing me my local files, which is what I'm interested in if I press the Windows key and go to the Start menu, they show me all the web results first, which I don't give a... I'm going to get profanity here, but, like, why? You know, if I wanted web results, I would go to a browser. I really uh, hope Bing dies and is just removed from, from Microsoft products in general. <laughs> the world would be better for it. But I had to downgrade mostly because of audio, because currently I sound crystal clear, but when Windows 11 was running and I was go through the exact same setup as we were having now, you would have like this slight popping every couple of seconds. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, that cost me a day of debugging, one and a half to be exact. Yeah. And then yeah. the upgrade to Windows 11 and the downgrade. So that would be about two days of productivity trying out Windows 11. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's part of the reason I just can't get on board with Linux as much <laughs> as I, I love the idea and I love the concepts and I love a lot of the the options, but... Boy, do you spend a lot of time just trying to get things to work. Yeah, that's definitely in the beginning a part. Like I've been, of course, I'm a, I'm a high-end Linux professional. That's how I make most of my money. And I've been using a lot of different, a lot of distros in Linux, but mostly Ubuntu. And that's not because I can't run something like Debian or Arch. I mean, I even run Gen 2, which is a definitely, you have to know everything uh, distro. But I just didn't have the time to fiddle with the buttons. I just wanted a system that I could install and it would just work TM, which Ubuntu mostly does. There are a few exceptions. One of the things that I always found weird, though, was that people were complaining about the hardware in Linux. And it was like, yeah, my whole system has been out to configure, but I can't get the network cards to work. And then I'm just looking and going like, you know, you can solve this problem in two ways. Either you spend half a day hacking about it, trying to get the closed source drivers to work or you go to the store and you buy a new network card for five bucks because network cards aren't that expensive and plug that in and it will work out of the box because you just happen to have that one network card that wasn't supported but it was back in the day when a lot of the network cards had some kind of firmware in it that was closed source and they weren't willing to open it so you couldn't include it in the distro yeah jump 16 hoops to get it to work these days it's nearly never an issue almost everything works out of the box with the um, no even yeah, the VDI drivers work yeah it's it's never a hardware issue these days i mean i have been using linux on and off since what is it ubuntu 14 so like 2008 9 yeah. and yeah back then especially on laptops it was an absolute crapshoot of what hardware was yeah. going to work these days. It's not most of my issues end up coming down to, to software stuff. And whenever I do use Linux, like right now I have a dual boot of Manjaro because of the package manager, just having mm -hmm. absolutely everything in it. And, and that's, that's useful, but sometimes you just install things and it just doesn't work right. I don't know if you saw the Linus tech tips videos on them trying Linux. Uh, and, I haven't tried yet. Like, I mean, I, I love Linus Tech Tips. I mean, uh, I think Linus is an awesome dude, at least the way he treats technology. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Seeing him mech about with, with Linux, I'm not sure if I can take that. Yeah. So the first the first episode of it, to be fair, it's not entirely his fault. And, and there was a bug with, with the Pop! OS distribution he was using. But he was just trying to install Steam and it wasn't working. And he went to the command line and, and, and tried to do it there. And of course, apt gave him a, a warning that was like, don't do not do this unless you're absolutely sure. And yeah. he did it and it un uninstalled his entire desktop environment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's things like that, you know, that, which with, with experience, because like I looked at that and I was like, he could, he could have fixed that with one command um, because it mm -hmm. still did boot into, you know, a command line and he could have just reinstalled pop os desktop and it would have installed all the dependencies and it would have been fine but but there's no way to know that you know and yeah. and even after a lot of experience those things can still happen where you just have to look it up and you have to google it and you have to search what, through forums and what what yeah. distro is he using in the, in this video well he was trying to install pop os which is when he un uninstalled his whole desktop environment <laughs> and after that he'd switched to i believe manjaro with kde and that's what oh. he stuck to with the the whole yeah. series so yeah because because the problem i have with with these series is that i he has like a double agenda in this one of course on one end he wants to try linux because it's interesting content but he isn't going to use ubuntu because if you use ubuntu on a normal system and you would buy the right hardware for it so you would pick an nvidia card and stuff like that then most of it would work out of the box but it would make super boring youtube content because mm -hmm. like yeah. if i look at my desktop i had ubuntu running on it with steam and games and I had no issues, right? I just did a basic Ubuntu install, the latest stable, because I didn't want to mess with the system. And I can go to the Steam website. I double click. I get a nice dev package. I double click that one. And Steam is built around, uh, I think, Ubuntu and SteamOS. Both run fine. And it would configure. And it could even install emulation so I could run Doom Eternal 
on my uh, Linux system, but it would run slower because it was using emulation then instead of native Linux libraries, which I'm still not sure if I if I like it because one end of me says like, I'm glad that I can run it without having technical knowledge, but because the frame rate is so terrible, it's not like a good sell for Linux because yeah. it's running a Windows binary. I think it definitely depends on the the game because there's actually some games that do have native Linux ports that apparently the Proton is Steam's compatibility layer based on Wine runs better on Proton. So I think it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, it's probably this. hit or miss, but still, like I'm I'm super grateful that with the whole Steam OS thing, it means that about eighty percent of the Steam games just run native on Linux these days. Yeah, it's pretty uh, it's pretty awesome. Ah, man, I mean, if you told if you told ten year like like when I was twenty twenty five when I was running on Linux that I, one day I could go have a Linux desktop and then basically play nearly any game I wanted because I had only a few exceptions there. I would be amazed. And I, I'm I'm running Windows not because I can't game on it. I'm running Windows because I'm, I'm using Office Suite and Adobe Suites and stuff like that for my content creation. But I could go full Linux again if I wanted to, with the notable exception of my Focusrite audio setup, because it doesn't provide Linux drivers, which normally I would never have bought. But you know, it doesn't doesn't plug and play. Nope. Oh, interesting. I have a Native Instruments audio interface, and it just works out of the box, no problem, no drivers okay. needed with with Linux. Well, you know, I mean, if I'm unhooking and rehooking everything, I'm I'm gonna hook up my laptop and see uh, see what it does if I run the latest version of uh, Ubuntu. But yeah. what I read, it, like it requires some 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 tricks and jumps to get it to work. Yeah. And for me, when it's when it comes to Linux, my opinion is like either your hardware runs out of the box or I don't buy your hardware. So these this Focusrite one that's on the corner of my desk, I kind of look at it with disdain because I'm going like. If you're not running out of the box, then normally you're not deserving a spot in my office. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. But I also like the audio quality so much. <sighs> Choices. <laughs> <laughs> but it, interestingly, that's one of the main pieces of hardware Linus has had trouble with is his audio interface. Granted, he's running, I forget what it's called now, but it's an ancient audio interface. So it's not exactly a surprise that it doesn't work very well. No, but I still can't justify Linux for gaming, unfortunately. There's still just no. a few games that don't work. And I, yeah, it's it's just a bit of a hassle. Uh, it is. But I mostly think that it's it's more like, where's your priority at? Like, if you really want to play a couple of games or gaming is your priority, then I wouldn't recommend somebody to install Linux, right? Because windows just easier it's like windows steam you can play games if you're making a gaming desktop and you say like i'm going to put linux on it i'm going like you know i commend the effort as a fanatical linux user but like you're just doing this if you are however a fanatic linux user and you also want to play games then it's no longer an issue because then the only thing that you have is that you probably can play a couple of games which is fine right. you know I, mean, I could work around <laughs> with that perfectly I've well I feel smack dab in the middle of those those two types of people. <laughs> <laughs> so. And then you get a dual boot system and you just boot when you want to play that specific game that doesn't yep. run on Linux, right? Yep. So it's, it's not a big issue. It's just like, yeah, that damned if you do, damned if you don't. You'll have to take some, some concessions when you want to run something like Linux, which isn't just a default, well, well, I wouldn't say commercially supported operating system. It's a good operating system, but it just... It doesn't have like the market share that Mac or, or Windows have. Mm -hmm. I mean, interestingly, one of my biggest problems with Linux is kind of the same crisis I'm going through with Notion in that I can change anything and that's oh, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can <laughs> customize problem. everything and that's a problem because yeah. I get into it. Yeah, I've spent, I've spent days, weeks setting up a Linux distribution only to switch back to Windows. <laughs> like yeah. uh. that, that's that like I've had that phase when I was was growing up and messing around with Linux and bear with me because then back in the day it wasn't as easy to set up. I mean Linux really became easier to install once Ubuntu had the scene because that's what they were focusing on. But I remember setting up Gen2 for example and Gen2 is you compile everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember I was going through the manual and I got the basic install going. And I felt like, well, this is okay. I got the core installed. Now all I need is my KDE desktop environment. So I type emerge KDE desktop environment. I'm not sure what the exact command was. And I came back after an hour and it was still running. And I went to bed and in the morning it was still running. And I went to work, I think, or school. No, work, definitely work. I was already working. And I came back from work and it was still running. And this repeated itself for three days. <laughs> then it was done. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. I had to wait three days for the full compile and install because there's so many components. And we're talking, yeah, uh, this was like a long time ago. These days with modern PCs, it would probably have been a lot quicker. But back right, in the day, a minute or two. Yeah, yeah m multiple files is always especially back on older hardware uh, was a problem because even if the whole like the whole package was not that big when it's comprised of tens of thousands of small files it really slowed things down back then and you can still face it today especially if you don't have uh, ssd it it seems to go quite quite a bit slower but yeah, i've done the whole build it myself i've done my own arch build just just so i can say i did <laughs> more than anything you yeah. learn so much from doing like a full build because mm -hmm. uh, the gentoo experience of course gentoo takes a lot of the heavy lifting away but because you suddenly have to set compiler flags and you have to think about how your system boots that means that by messing with gentoo definitely for half a year or something i know my way around Linux under the hood, meaning that if something is broken in my starter procedure, for example, I can just step by step go through it, know what happens when it's booting up, how it's starting, where things are loading, and I can solve my own problems. And that was always the thing that I liked about a system like Linux. I, I was allowed under the hood. If something was broken, I could actually figure out where it was broken and then fix it from there with something like Windows. It works, but it's all a black box. If it's broken, yeah. I don't know how to fix it, except I mean, for reinstall. The registry is an absolute nightmare. Probably the biggest nightmare in all of computing. I don't, I don't know why they set it up that way. But, but yeah, I, I really love that about Linux. And I think it's actually simpler than people think too. Linux foundationally is quite simple. And I would never suggest Linux to everyone as a daily driver OS. But I would 100% suggest installing and setting up and getting used to a Linux distro because you learn so much about computers and how they work because yeah. a lot of that transfers over to the other OSs and in understanding these like foundational principles of how computers work can just make, make your life so much easier. I think, yeah, that's like definitely uh, a part that you have with something like like Linux, you can learn a lot about like how an operating system works and functions. And I, I also do think that like, of course, half the world runs runs Linux on a daily basis because Android is based on Linux. So depending on how much shell is around it, people aren't even aware that they're running a highly sophisticated operating system, but they're doing that anyway. You know, I mean, iOS is also a highly sophisticated operating system as well as Windows, as Mac. It's just I mean, like, is there a Mac is extremely close to to Linux structurally and foundation because yeah, it's but. based on uh, on free bsd but it's like mm -hmm. uh, there's open bsd i'm not sure i, I like it's their own thing I, they have a fancy name for it i forget what it is right but yeah it's a uh, it's definitely a valuable thing to know i mean and, and when you actually just look at every uh every computing device not just personal computers i mean linux makes up 90 plus percent of them and people people don't know it all your point of sale systems like i, I mean even vending machines and ATMs and uh, like all of those things are, are running Linux most of the time. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, and I, I've seen people go like, you know, like Linux is like a, a small trivial thing. And then I just laugh and go like, you know, you have no idea how much of the world is running on this open operating system. Now it's like, mm -hmm. you, know, you, you want to order something at Amazon. Yeah. Any idea how many Linux systems are involved with that order? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, before it gets to your door, man, at least like five or six kernels have touched that thing. At least, yep. and probably more considering the fact that they have these robots running around. And I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. those robots are all running Linux. Without question, they're running Linux. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without Linux, the world would crumble, literally. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, 
funny how that happens. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we better wrap it up. I do got to get to work today. It's supposed to be a day off, but I don't, I don't get those for a while. It seems. <laughs> um, yeah, another feeling. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, that was that was a fun one. I yeah, I think we got it. two major topics in it. I'm, I'm not sure if our uh, target audience was looking at a complete Linux distro <laughs> discussion, <laughs> but I think that would be nice as a separate thing, like where we just rant about Linux. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know. I think the audience exists. Obviously, we're we're two strangers who found each other and share all of these interests. So I, I imagine there's a lot more too. Yeah, from a CEO perspective, like you know, the session where we rant at Linus for not knowing Linux is is definitely something that gets attention. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, so the the last episode, I pretty much have fully edited. I just need to export it and get it up, and just haven't had much time to put to it. But uh, but yeah, hope hopefully get that up real quick and and start working on this one. Oh man, I know the feeling, man. I just had a month off and I got all my videos recorded and I just finished editing one of those and the other ones I still need to do. And it's just like, where do I find the time to really sit down and edit this stuff? Though a large part of my motivation was kind of killed when I recorded five shows and then found out that because I was using Windows 11, the audio was broken. Oh God. Yeah, that was like a, another day wasted because I had to re-record that shit. So the, the Windows cost me more than one and a half days. Oh boy. Yeah, <laughs> it was that's... an expensive endeavor uh, trying the Windows 11 thing. <clears throat> I won't be upgrading anytime soon. Yeah, I haven't haven't had any issues personally. I've mm. been using it since long before official release, since yeah. pretty much the beginning of the the flighting program for it. Yeah. But uh, overall I wasn't complaining about it. I was like I was happy with it. It's just that that one specific thing, the audio definitely is like required for my current workflow. Yeah. Um, I mean, and as a like hobbyist visual designer and very concerned with, with visual appearance and design, I definitely would have a hard time going back to Windows 10 just from, yeah, just from oh, a visual yeah. perspective. Yeah. From a visual perspective, I thought it was looking very nice. Yeah. Uh, it's the most cohesive Microsoft has ever looked, which is, yeah. you know, to be fair, not saying much. But uh, yeah. And the other thing that I really was like a semi deal breaker for me was the fact that I couldn't move the task part. Yeah, which actually is coming back, I believe, in not the next update, but the following one. They are oh, nice. letting you yeah, move the taskbar again. I was, ex task I was again. expecting that they would reintegrate it, but I just couldn't get it done before the current release. And I'll probably just set up a test system with Windows 11 at some point so I can double check the hardware before I do another upgrade. Yeah, um, I mean, I still know someone writing out Windows 8, so... <laughs> For oh, reasons un unknown to me, but they, they are still running Windows 8. 8.1, to be fair. 8.1. Oof. I mean, I could yeah. imagine if they were on 7, but 8. That's, yeah. that's a brave motherfucker. I mean, that's like someone back in the day using Vista. Oh, you know? my God. They're like, yeah. I love Vista. Vista's the best. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. And then, like, everybody that's around you that knows anything about computers just goes and, like, are you feeling okay? Yeah. I mean, what's funny is he's a he's a huge computer nerd, you know? I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah. I'd be curious. Like I would love to know. Like you know, what, <laughs> yeah. what keeps you at Windows eight when Windows ten and Windows seven are both a thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't even think. I think Windows eight lost support before Windows seven did. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, because because it was harder to let go of Windows eight, uh, Windows seven, than Windows eight because more people would be fed up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, an adoption of Windows eight was probably the worst in Windows history. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm actually amazed because I was a bit worried because you know the whole on and off thing eh, going like you know, Windows Seven is okay, eight is bad, and then ten was okay because they skipped nine, I think, and then eleven would be like okay, that's a bad release, but overall I thought it was pretty good. I mean, some minor driver issues, but nothing that from a usability standpoint that was going like okay, you guys are going overboard. It felt more like evolution of Windows Ten in the way I would expect it. Like everything just looks a bit snappier, everything's a bit cleaner. Yeah, the conflict I mean, it is was good. By and large, just uh, just a visual update more than anything yeah. with, with some things exclusive to it. Like I think uh, WSL, the uh, the Linux subsystem, yeah. I think only runs on Windows 11 as well as like the Android app emulation and stuff. But that's not not impressing at the moment. I have the the beta of it and it's it's fine. 
it doesn't integrate with the system like you would hope though you still have to have like a separate app drawer app to yeah. see those apps correctly and then things overlap so i like just tried the notion android app just to just to see and it overwrote my shortcuts for my desktop notion app oh and so God. if i tried to open notion in any way i could think of it would just open the android app and then when i uninstalled the android app i had to completely reinstall the desktop one to get it working again it was it's it's not not a great implementation but but yeah overall just a visual refresh which i am all about because yeah i just like my things looking good yeah same so i'm definitely agreeing on that okay i'll let you get to work i'm gonna do some cooking cool sounds good man yeah talk to you later bye